The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. While you're finding your place in Acts 6, I just want to say how much I enjoy the music this morning. And uh, even that the choir special was wonderful, ministered to my heart. Acts chapter number 6. All right. So we continue working our way through this book. As I, uh, as I read this, if it would, if you are... Um, if you are right now currently or have ever been a part of a perfect church where every single human being in the church never sinned, never uh, disappointed you, never hurt you, uh, everything was exactly the way that it should be. As I begin reading these first uh, seven verses, would you just go ahead and uh, stand up for us today? So Bible reads in verse number 1, now at this time, go ahead, if you've been a part of that perfect church, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. That's a good name, isn't it? Just, just an observation. man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Paranice, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, and these men brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Now, if you are standing because I say, if you're standing because you have been a part of a perfect church, you can go ahead and be dismissed uh, for the sermon time. You don't need this sermon today. You can get to the buffet a little bit before everybody else. Well, it seems to me that everybody is still remaining seated, and if I were honest, I should sit down myself too. I have never been a part of a perfect church where everybody did right all the time. And uh, this, uh, this lesson today, this sermon from Acts 6, is just a helpful reminder for us that we understand that we are fallen people, that we sin, that our feet are made of clay just like everybody else in the world. We have a good Christ who has redeemed us, who has saved us, who has washed our sins away by His mighty power and His goodness and His sacrifice on the cross. He has been raised again on the third day for our deliverance and our eternal life. However, 
We are still human beings and we come together as the church and we still from time to time need the lessons that go on in this text before us. So would you join me for a word of prayer and then we will look at the crisis of service going on in this passage. Our Father, we do come to you now. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in the power of the Holy Spirit and we just submit our praise and thanks for what a wonderful day, Lord, just to be able to have Bible study and fellowship with our friends and neighbors in Christ, to be able to give and to pray and to sing. And Lord, we just worship You with everything that we have. And we pray now, as we study Your Word, that You would help us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that You would give us some instructions in this passage as fallen people coming together as Your holy church, Lord, that we would learn to be more unified, that we would learn from the pattern of the New Testament church how to live and be the church in our community in the 21st century. And we will thank You and bless You, for it is in the name of Jesus we do pray. Amen. You will find that uh, as we've made our way through the book of Acts so far, you'll find that uh, the devil has always been about trying to hurt God's people and God's holy church. And so first of all, he did that with persecution where he was uh, trying to run them out of Jerusalem. And instead of putting out the fire, all the devil did was ignite the fire into the uttermost parts of the world. In fact, that's the series that we're in is taking the gospel, the good news to the uttermost parts of the world. And so he he thought then a couple of chapters later, he said, well, if I can't do it by persecution, then I'll destroy the church by seduction. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit and they said that uh, they were going to do this, but really they had something else in their heart. And so there was division by this seductive heart of keeping away from God and the Spirit of Christ, what rightfully belonged to him and to the community. But that didn't work either for Peter by way of the Holy Spirit brought the judgment and the righteousness and all of God's people were in fear and trembling over the goodness of God and the severity of God and His church continued to thrive. And now we find ourselves in Acts chapter number 6 and we have another situation in which the early church has some problems, has some situations arise. And so as we look at this narrative today in Acts chapter 6, I just want to maybe walk down through these seven verses and explain to you a few things. So first of all, from verse number one, I want you to learn from the setting that's going on. The setting. Look at verse number one. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of the food. And so when we think about the setting that's going on, it is a growing multicultural church. And do you see that in the text now at this time while the disciples were increasing in number? So they were believers and they were increasing in number and then from verse number one, you find out that they were made up of all different kinds of men and women and boys and girls from every ethnic background, from every religious background, from every socioeconomic background. Jesus Christ had become the center point and the call name by which all of these people were rallying together and yet they were coming from all of these different backgrounds. And the setting here is that this is a growing body of believers made up of all different kinds of people. And, and can I just pause for a moment and say, that is the kind of church that we need here at Emmanuel. 
I remember when I first came to Emmanuel and met with the search committee and just kind of told them, said, well, what are you interested? I am interested in us becoming a multi-generational, multi-ethnic congregation where the people in our congregation look like the neighborhood that our church resides in. And so it doesn't matter. It should be red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. We ought to be made up of men and women and boys and girls that come from every different kind of background and even think differently than we do. Amen? Amen. Now you say amen when you're in service. Do you believe that every day of your life? Do you believe that when we have folks from different ethnic groups who then uh, begin moving into the areas of leadership in our church life, whether that be musically or whether that be from sermonic form or whether that be in our deacon body or whether that be in a teacher, are you okay if somebody thinks differently and acts differently and looks differently than you do? Are you okay with those people being one in Christ Jesus and yet different than you? Amen. <laughs> Hey, man, brother, you get $10 for that. I like that. That's good stuff right there. Don't get me going. I, I get preaching, man. I, yes. I, I want to submit to you that the early church should look like, our church should look like the early church. Now, I, I just, uh, I don't want you looking around today as I, I want you to listen to the sermon, but I, I do want to just submit to you that if we look around at the congregation here, we better be really careful that we're not a cookie-cutter congregation. I'm not saying we have to run out into our world and force something that's not there. But I am saying that we ought to be the kind of receptive congregation here that anyone that walks through those doors feels and sees the love of Christ and is opened up to broken people who have been put back together by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to be that kind of congregation. You want to live? You want to be alive in this community for another 67 years? Then you better get on the knees of your heart and say, Oh God, take away the prejudice of my heart. Take away my own preferences. Take away all of the things that cause me to sit in my own circles of influence, in my own little small group of friends, and help me to reach out to my community no matter what it looks like. I would say that on the outside and I would say that on the inside. Sometimes when we have things like tonight at the, at the uh, fellowship this evening, right? The fall festival. How, I want to I challenge, challenge the members of our church. Don't get in your little small groups and not talk to anybody. That doesn't look like you or that you don't know or that you've not been friends with for a long time. If there are people, and there will be people here tonight, I mean, we're, having to, we're kind of having to work on the fly with the weather and all that kind of stuff. In fact, we invented a new game for this evening. We're going to throw the children up in the air, and the wind is going to blow them. Or, no, I'm just messing with you, just messing with you. Hey, listen, there, there'll be unbelievers here tonight. Did you know that? There, there'll, be, there'll be folks here tonight that, that, uh, that you don't know. You need to get out of your comfort zone and go speak to those folks. When, when people come to our church, don't go talk to Connie and say, who is that? I've never seen him before. Because I will tell you what my wife will tell you. Go talk to them. <laughs> don't look down on people that don't have the same economic status that you do. That don't dress the way that you do. 
that don't like the same music that you like. We've got to be the kind of congregation that comes together here in a setting where Christ is the preeminent center of our life. And we may have differences and preferences, and we may like this and, and not like that, but we are people saved by the good grace of God. Amen? Amen. Let me throw this in here. just a little stab in the, underneath the fifth rib for you. Don't judge people from a distance. I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure that person's here legally. Mm. Well, why don't you leave that to the law of the land and go love somebody that's in your presence? Amen? Yeah, a lot fewer there. Uh, a growing multicultural, multi-ethnic church. Can I say this? It needs to be a growing church. We need to be growing on two fronts. We, we need the kind of church that is, that is growing both spiritually, where we are leaving behind, we are growing from the, from the uh, uh, elementary or rudimentary things of the gospel, and we are growing deeper into the things of the gospel where we are learning to lay off the old man or the old woman and to put on the new man or the new woman in Christ where our hearts and our souls and our minds are being conformed to the image of Jesus. We need to grow spiritually, but can I say something to you? We also need to be the kind of people that are growing numerically. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll be teaching a class in the seminary, and uh, one, of the, one of the lectures they've asked me to give is on the pastor and the devotional life. And one of the things I'm going to kind of punch those guys in the nose with a little bit spiritually is, is this. When you think about your own individual, personalized devotional life, you think about reading the Bible, you think about prayer, you might even think about fasting, you might think about solitude, you might think about uh, daily devotional books. Do you ever think about where evangelism fits into your devotional life? If you don't share the gospel, you don't have a devotional life. Jesus came to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. The entire purpose of Christ coming into the world was to bring the kingdom and the good news of the gospel so that men and women and boys and girls who were lost and undone, they were upside down in this world. They were broken. So husbands and wives who were falling apart and children who were running away, and friends who were broken, and lives who are given over to addiction and pornography and all of these kinds of things. Christ came into the world to make all of that right through His death on the cross and His resurrection and new life by way of the Spirit. And if we we are the kind of believers who read the Bible and go to small groups, but we never share the gospel. We're not growing believers. What kind of church was it? It was a growing church. It was a multi-ethnic congregation. I pray God does that in our church here. Amen. Would you pray that along with me maybe this week? That God would make us a multi-generational church. We're working on that. Now, we've seen good progress in that in the last seven, eight years or so. That we'd be a multi-generational, that we'd be a multi-ethnic congregation. We're not forcing anything, but that the, 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 the way that our community looks would begin to be the way that our church looks. Right. That the way that heaven looks, that Jesus would save every people out of every tribe and nation and people and kindred, people that all different diversities of life, that, that heaven, the way that heaven looks, that the church would be a bit of heaven on earth. Amen. A multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and maybe one day God would allow us to be a multi-congregational church. 
So, Steve, what are you going to do if we? What are you going to do if we get so big that we don't have any parking left? Well, we'll go to two services. Well, what are you going to do if we if we get to the point where people are getting saved and we're growing and, and we, we we have two services? We'll plant another congregation somewhere. Plant a church. That's part of what we do now. We work with church planters in Boston and Nepal and El Salvador and on and on and on. That's what we want to be as a multi-congregational church. Now look at the text here. So not only do you have the setting, but then notice the problem that arises in the local church. In verse number 1 it says, A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. The word complaint here can be traced back to the Hebrew word for the word murmur. You remember the children of Israel in the desert with Moses and they walked around. And murmur, is, uh, it's a, it's a word play. Murmur sounds like the word it is in Hebrew. It means the one guy, you see that David Chambers, I'm telling you about that. I'm telling you, I see that Jamie, he don't do this, he don't do that. I'm telling you, did you see what the pastor was wearing this past week? That's what murmur is, just complain, argue, fuss, fight. Hey, listen, aren't you tired of going to churches that have that kind of garbage? Aren't you tired of being a congregation that has that kind of garbage? Why don't you let that stuff fall by the wayside? Look what happens. A complaint arises. And, no, and notice here. It says, A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So number two here, the, the problem, it is the overlooking of a minority group because of cultural bias. You see, these Hellenistic Jews, they, they were Greek-speaking Jews. They, they didn't come from Jerusalem. They came from other parts of the kingdom. And they were still Jews in their nature, but they spoke Greek. And so they came into the church, and because they weren't born Baptist and bred Baptist, and when I die, I'll die Baptist, they weren't a part of the good group of, the, uh, of these native Jews. They weren't a part of the native EBC crowd. They weren't here in 1950 when we established that been here since D.L. Holt was here. They, these people just came in. And who do they think they are? They say they love Jesus, but they dress differently and act differently, and now they want to sit on a committee, and they want to change something. Something's drastically wrong, and so what we're going to do is we're going to overlook them and neglect them, and we're going to treat them lesser, and we're going to marginalize them. And there arose a complaint and what's, what's going on in the church? Not only are these culturally different people being neglected, the people who need care the most are being neglected. And do you know what happens in church life when we argue and fuss and fight and we treat people lesser than we are and we think that we are somehow culturally or uh, better than somebody else? It's not only that those people become marginalized, but the people who need the most help become neglected. Isn't that what it says? The widows were being overlooked in the daily service of food. Brothers and sisters, I, I would just submit to us that we have our own problems to deal with. And if we don't have these problems on this front right now, this is preventative maintenance for us to make sure that we are cognizant of what is going on in our life and in the life of our church. And we are never, ever, ever, 
ever supposed to look down on other people. We are to look to Jesus and we are to see Christ Jesus in them. Isn't that what Mother Teresa said? She said, she said, I want to be Christ to all people and I want to see Christ in all people. And if we would be the kind of congregation that would live that way with our congregation and with the people out here, if we would be Christ to everyone and see Christ in everyone, then every time we gave a cup of water, we would do it in the name of Jesus. And I'm not so much interested in today whether you say amen or not. I'm interested in whether you'll make that change in your own heart. What are you interested in here? Playing church or reaching the community for Christ? And loving on the people who need it the most. No, I'm not going to give any money to that family for, for groceries because you know what? I, I, I see that man. He, well, why isn't he working? That guy could work a job. He's lazy. Sound familiar? I know. Sit there and get mad and stew in it. You're wrong. Sure, is there wisdom and prudence, does the Bible say, to be harmless as doves and wise as serpents? Of course. But if the leaning of your heart is to find some sort of judgmental way of avoiding serving other people, you ought to lay that down at the altar today and say, Christ, help me. And if you help someone and they're a shyster, don't you think God is big enough to handle that? Yeah. Just let the tone of your life be one of love and grace and kindness. So look at the solution. You see the setting of that local church. You see the problem. These, these widows are being neglected because of their cultural standing. And look at the solution, verse 2 to 5. I would say the solution to this today is organizing through godly leadership. Maybe we would say good organization with godly leaders. Good organization with godly leaders. Look, if you would, at verse number 2 through 5. So the twelve... They summoned the congregation. I'll come back to that. They summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable. Now look, it means here, it's not desirable, it's not right, or it's not advantageous. It is it's not right for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And look at verse number five. It's the inclusio or the bookend from verse number two. The statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose the following men. So let me just, uh, let me give you a couple of words here about organization. When the local church begins to grow, there's always going to be a need for organization. Good organization, but it needs to be done by godly people. Good organization, godly people. You can have real good organization, but if you don't have godly people, it's not worth as far as you can spit a loogie. But you can have real good organization, or you can have uh, real good godly people, but if you don't have good organization, you're really not going to accomplish much. What we want to have in church life is good organization carried out by godly people. There are three groups in this text that I'll point out to you. One is the apostles, two is the deacons, and three is the congregation. Now for my scholars, let me say up front to you, let me see where I am time-wise, okay. Um, 
This is, uh, you will not find the office of a deacon in this passage, nor will you find the office of an elder. However, what I do think you find here is a prototype, a beginning in the early church of a good structure that ultimately gets carried out in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And you will see these offices come back up again in those books. So let me break that down for you. Here's the first one. You see the apostles, or that would be your elders, that would be your pastors. You'll notice that in every single book of the New Testament where the word elder is mentioned, almost always it is in a plurality of elders. It is not just a single pastor and a deacon in a congregation. It takes place with a plurality, a handful of uh, God-called elders and uh, deacons who serve the body of Christ and then the congregation as a whole. And look at what these apostles were to give themselves to. They said, listen, it's not right. It's not desirable. It is not the way, the best structure nor the godly structure for us to leave off the ministry of the Word in order to serve the tables. And the word there uh, for serve tables is the word dikonos. It is to, to serve or to uh, wait on tables. But here's what he says. And a couple of verses later it says, we will give ourselves to the ministry of the word. Verse number five, we will give ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Do you know that it's the same word for serve tables as it is ministry of the word? Did you know that? It's the exact same word. It's not that the apostles or the elders in the congregation uh, say serving tables and meeting physical needs and taking care of church property and ministering to our widows and our orphans and helping out. That's, they're not saying that's below us. They're simply saying, no, God has called us to a position to do this. And unless we are doing this, we are not fulfilling the God-called office that He wants us to do. Therefore, we need somebody else to rise up and help in that area. And lest you think they're unwilling to serve, it says, listen, this is the ministry of physical needs in the church, whereas your pastors and elders uh, are, are, and pastors are taking care of and ministering to and serving the spiritual needs of the congregation. What is the difference between elders and deacons? Your elders take care of your congregation spiritually. Your deacons take care of your congregation physically. I was at a conference not too long ago and I heard one man put it this way and I thought it was very helpful. Elders serve the church by leading and deacons serve the church or, or lead the church by serving. Let me say that again. Elders serve by leading and deacons lead by serving. And that's the way that it ought to be in the church congregation. Listen, your elders, your pastors ought to always be giving themselves over to prayer and the ministry of the gospel. Now let me just weave this into our church life in a couple minutes. I cannot remember the last time anybody in this church ever asked me, Pastor, are you giving as much time as you should to praying for us and for lost people and to studying the Word to rightly divide it when you preach. I cannot remember ever hearing that. See me after service and I'll tell you all the things I can remember hearing. Good structure, godly people. What are your elders supposed to do? What are your pastors supposed to do? They are supposed to give themselves over to the ministry of the Word and prayer. What are your deacons supposed to do? Look back at what it says here in the text. 
So the twelve summoned the congregation. They said, look, it's not desirable for us to do. Verse number three, therefore, brethren, select from among you, watch here now, seven men that make a lot of money, that dress very nicely, and who can pray like Moses. That, is that in your translation? No. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men who have a good reputation. All right. Seven men that when the congregation thinks of them, they think that's a godly person. The first thing that comes to their mind is they're not mean, they're not arrogant, uh, they're, not, uh, they're not out for glory. No, when I think about so-and-so as being a deacon in the congregation, that's a good man. It's not perfect. That's a good man who loves Jesus. Good reputation. He's thought well of in our congregation. Good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. It's a dual role here. We want all of our deacons in this church to be filled with the Spirit of God, that they are controlled and empowered by God's Holy Spirit and wisdom. Right? And why do you think it says that? Because you need a holy man and you need a practical man. Amen? <laughs> right? There are times when, uh, when the deacon body and I, we get together and we're talking about something. And man, I'm, I'm talking theology. I'm talking this. And it might just be simple as, you know, Brother Steve, we, we could just get a group of guys and put some tents up. You know what I mean? You don't, you, don't have to, you don't always have to read a systematic theology to get something done in church life. No, we need men who are filled with the Spirit of God and who have a practical sense of wisdom about them to take care of the folks in our congregation who need it the most to help our church run actively and righteously and good to lead our congregation through serving the people and the needs of our congregation. Amen? And then look what it says down here. Um, let me give you the, let me give you the, the results. I'll just move quickly. Look at the results of what happens. Oh, no. Don't move to that screen yet. So you have your elders or your apostles. You have your deacons. And then look at verse number 2 and verse number 5. It's interesting that the congregation is here. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples. And look at verse number 5. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose out these men for themselves. So you have elders in church life that are to give themselves to the ministry of the word, to leading, to protecting, to praying. You have the deacons of the church who are to give themselves over to serving and meeting the physical needs of the congregation at large. And you have God's congregation who approves of this structure and chooses men out to serve in those capacities and listens to the elder leadership in their church. So we are a congregational church who is elder-led, deacon-served, congregational-approved. Let me say that to you again. Probably the best way for a church body to operate is biblically is to be elder-led, deacon-served, and the approval of a unified congregation. And so what, what, does that, what does that look like? Well, that holds everything in a good balance together because you don't have these elders over here saying, we rule over everything. No, why? Because the congregation is the one that approves of them. At the same time, you don't have, you don't have leaders out here that have all of the responsibility and none of the authority because the congregation has said, we have chosen together to submit to our elders. See how that works good together? 
You have elder-led, deacon-served, congregational-approved. And since you all are Baptists, you won't ever find anywhere in the Bible anything about committees. But if you want... If you want, you won't even find boards in the Bible except in Acts 28 where it says some of them floated to shore on boards. <laughs> However, since you're Baptist, I am too. I don't want myself in there. I'm kind of Baplican. Anyway, all right. If you want to add committees in there, I think maybe you could say something like this. Elder-led, deacon-served, committee-assisted, congregational-approved. You see, the elders set the direction and the tone, and they come and they say, this is what we're doing. This is what God wants this congregation to do. The committee doesn't then take that and say, well, we'll see whether we like that or not. We're going to do our own thing. No, every time a committee meets, there are a few things they ought to do. One, they ought to pray. And two, they ought to say, what do the elders want done? Let's give 110% to get that done. That's it. As a committee, it doesn't matter what committee it is. You, you don't set the tone, you assist. Let me say that one more time for you. Elder-led, deacon-served, committee-assisted, congregational-approved. All right? Look at the results and we'll close for today. Look at verse number... Uh, oh, I can't skip over this, you'll like it. Verse number 5. So the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And look at what they did. They chose Stephen and a whole bunch of other guys I can't pronounce, all right? Stephen and Philip and other guys I can't pronounce. You want to know something cool? All of these guys' names in verse number 5, every single one of them, it gives the Greek name, not the Hebrew name. Hmm. You remember what was going on in verse number 1? It was the Hellenistic Greek Jews who were being neglected. They're widows. And so what does the church come together and say? They say, listen, we trust each other in Christ so much that the deacons that we elect, they're going to be the deacons from the minority, not the majority. And we're going to trust that there'll be men filled with the Spirit and wisdom. And they'll not swing the pendulum in the wrong direction. They'll bring it to the right direction and they'll serve. And then look at, uh, verse, uh, look at verse number 6 and 7. And, they, uh, and these they brought before the apostles, and after praying them, they laid their hands on them. And look at verse number 7. So the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase in Jerusalem, and a great many of the Jewish priests or priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The results was the spreading of the gospel and the saving of the lost. Three, three kind of three parts in there. You see that? It says that the Word of God kept spreading. That the disciples kept growing in number. And did you notice that word disciple? It means to be a follower of Jesus. It's said in verse number 1, it's said in verse number 5, and it's said in verse number 7. He wants you to know, Luke wants you to know, this congregation was not just converts, they were people who have chosen to follow Jesus. And the disciples kept growing. The word kept spreading. And even the Jewish priests in the synagogue were coming to faith in Christ. Why do you think it is? Because those Jewish priests were lording it over those Judaistic people and they were looking into the life of the church where a problem, a microscopic problem in the life of the church had arisen. They were growing, they were loving, they were all kinds of people from all different backgrounds and now arises a problem in the congregation and they found the solution. And when God's people 
handle things in God's way. And it's unified. The Word of God keeps going out. Believers are edified. And lost people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.